Take your Bibles and turn with me then to the epistle that John, the disciple of Jesus, wrote, his first, First John. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was sent by God the Father to this world. He was born in Bethlehem. He was a little baby. He was a human being like each of us. But he was different than each of us because he was without sin. He was perfect. He became one of us to demonstrate the love of God. Not just to demonstrate it, really, you could say, he became one of us to put on display the love of God. On that Palm Sunday, the crowd shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, save, save. But many of them, if I might say most of them, did not understand that he had not come to save them from the oppression of the Romans or from any oppression that they were so obsessed over. He came to save them from the oppression of sin, from their guilt, from the just condemnation for their sins. And just within a week of the crowd shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save, save, this perfect, as we saw in the song that Rachel played, the Lord of love was nailed to a cross and died for us. This is how he commendeth his love toward us, in that while we as yet sinners Christ died for us, showing his love, demonstrating his love, putting his love on display. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We hope in him. It is by believing in Jesus only that we have life everlasting. When we believe in Jesus, we actually become a part of God's family. We become the children of God. We become accepted in the beloved. That declaration is profound. For as we're going to learn this morning, God is love. God is love. And when we are accepted in the beloved, we are accepted in his love. We abide in the very essence of love. The very essence of love, who is God, abides in us. Do we walk in love? Do we walk in the Holy Spirit of God? As Joel mentioned, if you missed Bible Hour this morning, check it on the podcast when it comes out. Because the last verse, we didn't compare notes, but the last verse that Brother Bob shared is where we're going to start. And John, here at 1 John, he refers back to a record he had given in his Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, that very night before Jesus was crucified, shortly before he was betrayed, he said to his disciples, I give to you a new commandment. Remember that from this morning? That's where he ended. The new commandment is what? 
that ye love one another, but not some kind of dutiful love. Really, he said that this love is a love that is as I love. Now, I have some news for you. That commandment is 100% absolutely impossible for us to obey by ourselves. It's impossible. Because we can't love as Christ loves. It's impossible. Why? Because Christ is the fullness of God. And God is love. And in order for us to love as Christ loves, well, we would have to be God. So what's the solution? How can we obey this command to love as Christ Jesus loves? Well, Jesus gave us the answer in saying that he gives to us and he anoints us with his Holy Spirit. And we learn from the scriptures that Jesus Christ gave to us the Holy Spirit. And one of the, well, what is the first fruit of the Spirit? Love. Love. For when we are to love, it is us accessing by faith the Lord Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, his love, and allowing his love to flow through us. Which, does that remind you of where Brother Reisinger began this morning? It is from him, through him, and to him are all things, including love. Love comes from him, and it is through him, and it is all to the glory of him that we are able to Love, it's only possible through Jesus. There is really so much to talk about when we think of love. <laughs> Why? Because God is love, and God is infinite. There is no end to God. There is no end to his love. His love is beyond knowledge. So, what a challenge it is for us this morning to try to capsize, may I say, the doctrine or the reality of love in but just 45 minutes. It is beyond knowledge. We can only but touch the surface of God's love. We have a command to walk in love. To walk in love. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse one, it says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. You see, God demonstrates he commendeth his love toward us he showcases the glories of his love by giving to us Jesus. And Jesus showed that forth by giving himself as a sacrifice for our sins. This morning, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been saved by his grace? Have you experienced this love personally. If you have, 
you have become a part of God's family. You have become a part of God's family, and you can then walk in love because God gives to you His Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you so that you can go forth every day walking in love, true love. In fact, as we learn from 1 John, this is the evidence of how we know that we are children of God. You're there in 1 John. The whole epistle is all about our relationship with God. And are we abiding in Jesus Christ? And do we have fellowship with Him? And how does that flow out in our other relationships? I struggled so much of what parts of 1 John to cover this morning. There's so much. So I've sought to condense it down to a selection of passages from this letter. And I'd like to simply read them, and I'd like for you to follow along with me. Will you start and begin with me in 1 John chapter 2? Look with me at verse 3 and following. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. John the Apostle is reminding believers and Christians of the words of Jesus in John chapter 13, where Jesus, there in the upper room the night before he was crucified, said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. Here John is reminding believers of this truth, this new commandment that Jesus gave. For here, he says, keeping his commandments is the love 
perfected. Back in 1 John, look with me now to chapter 3 and verse 10. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10 and following. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever there, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and he knoweth that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, meaning if you have something that you can give to help another brother and you don't give, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. It is a natural conclusion John is presenting to us that if we are the children of God, then we will demonstrate and show forth the love of God. We will show forth the love of God. It is, in fact, that this is how the love of God is perfected in us. And do you notice there in verse 16 that we perceive the love of God because that he laid down his life for us? Here is the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the one who gave himself for us. Look with me now in chapter 4 and follow with me beginning in verse 7. This section here is filled with the word love. 
It is a treatise covering this doctrine and this truth. Here is where we find out that love is really God. God is love. And really how much we need God to be able to love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He is the one who removes God's wrath for our sin by his sacrifice on the cross. That is propitiation. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. That is key. We're going to come back to that, but don't, don't miss that there. His spirit. Same as it was true in the last verse of chapter 3. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God is in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him, because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? You have been born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat, everyone that loves God who begat us, loveth him also that is begotten of him. It means that if you love the one who begot you, then you'll love others who are begotten of him, those who are born of God. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. 
For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Heavenly Father, we bow to you this morning and give thanks for you are love. We give thanks that you loved the world. We give thanks that you sent your only begotten Son to die for our sins. We give thanks that for all of us here who have believed in the Lord Jesus, we have become the children of God, begotten of you. What a privilege for which we say thank you. Dear Spirit of God, teach us to love. Empower us to love. May the love of Jesus flow through us to others. May we love first and foremost you, our great God. And may we love the children of God, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Teach us, I pray, to love. Be with me now as I seek to open your word and to explain. I acknowledge that I am incapable. And so, dear Spirit, I acknowledge that you are the one who ultimately, who really is the one who has to teach today. And I pray that you do just that. That you might glorify the Lord Jesus. That you, Heavenly Father, might be glorified. We need you now and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Love. What is it? Or should I say, who is it? We've come to this this morning as we continue through our church covenant. You have a hymnal handy? Open your hymnals and look to one of the back pages where you'll find our church's covenant. A covenant is a sacred promise commitment that we as brothers and sisters in Christ, united together in this body, this assembly, make to one another. It is important and significant. The first paragraph of our covenant speaks of our salvation and our commitment to the Lord and to each other. Having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love. 
We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love. May I ask you a question? Does this describe our church? Does this describe our church? Sometimes you hear preachers ask questions, and sometimes us preachers ask rhetorical questions. This isn't a rhetorical question. I want you to ask that question in your mind, and I want you to answer that question in your mind. As we as a church, do we engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love? Well, perhaps you might not be sure how to answer that question because perhaps you don't know what love is. That is really true in the world that we live in because this word is so casually used. It's so casually used. We love French fries. Well, some people do. We, we, we love this or we love that. We flippantly say it. What is love? Well, as we read in 1 John, declared repeatedly, God is love. That's why it says walk together in Christian love. That is a love that is different than some obligatory duty. It is a privilege to be filled with the Spirit of God and to be the channel of His love to others and may I say also back to Him. This is love. Love is really Christ living in us, the fullness of God, and Him living our lives for the good, for what is best, for others. This is Christian love. Ephesians chapter 5 says that we are to walk in love. Paul, throughout the New Testament, commends this church and that church and this church, speaking of their love, their fervent love, their love and sincerity. John was a big one on love. He writes here and reminds the people, did you see over and over, he says, listen, I'm not giving you a new commandment. This is an old commandment at the time John was writing because he's referring back to when Jesus gave the commandment to love. John is passionate about love, as you've seen here in this letter. You know, he's not finished, because when we go to the book of Revelation, in the book of Revelation, John records the words of Jesus. We're in pain. Jesus speaks to a church, as recorded by the apostle John in the book of Revelation, and speaks to the church of Ephesus as having left their first love. You can sense the heartbreak, which is shocking, considering the fact that to Ephesus was the very church that Paul had written describing and praying for them that they might know the depth and the breadth and the height of the love of God, which he says is beyond knowledge. It's past knowledge. 
but he longs for the churches to demonstrate and to show forth a fervent, zealous, that's on fire, sincere love. John makes the case here in this letter that this is an evidence that you love God, that you are born of God. Demonstrating love is an evidence that you are born of God. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. He clarifies, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this, Jesus says, shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. This is Jesus' passion for his disciples, for his people. Would you take your Bibles and turn back to that John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17? We call this the upper room discourse. It's the upper room, the night, that upper room conversation that Jesus had with his disciples the night before he was crucified. It began there in the upper room, and it began to transition into the streets of Jerusalem, down into the Kidron Valley, and up the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it climaxed with a prayer. We call it the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. Oh, a glorious prayer. And it amazes me at how Jesus ends that prayer. Do we want to have love? Do we want to endeavor to walk together in Christian love? Earlier, I made the statement to you that to do so is impossible by yourself. I reaffirm that. It is impossible to walk together in Christian love by yourself. But it's impossible. Did you know that Jesus knew that? Look at the very last prayer request that Jesus made in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, in verse 26, Jesus is praying to God the Father. Jesus, God the Son, is praying to God the Father. And he says, I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen. You see, what Jesus is praying here is that the love of God that sent Jesus to this earth to die for sinful, rebellious, stubborn, selfish, wicked, evil mankind, he is praying that that same love be in his disciples and by extension in us. And then did you see what his last words were? And I in. This is the only way that the love is possible. The only way that we can have love one for another is if we have 
the fullness of God in us. This is not just some doctrine. This is a reality. This is a privilege. This is a relationship that you and I can be the children of God, that you and I can be accepted in the beloved, that you and I can be filled with all the fullness of God that we can love as God loves because Jesus through his spirit is living in us. We often feel so inadequate, or may I speak for myself, I feel so inadequate in loving. Why? Because I'm trying to love by myself. And that's not possible. It's impossible. And I miserably fail, and I get frustrated. So what do I need? There's a little Bible phrase here that I need that might not be readily understood. I need the unction of the Holy One. Now, some of you know what that means, and they're smiling. Some of you are smiling because you don't know what it means, and I don't know where we're all at. Where did I get this unction of the Holy One? It's in 1 John. It's in 1 John, wrapped around in the context of loving, is this declaration of something we have. Look with me at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20. It is a declaration. This is the declaration in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Hmm. What is that? What is the unction? Well, if we look down further in this chapter, verse 27, this unction is referred to again and described a little bit different. You see here it says that we have an unction from the Holy One and ye know all things. Look down at verse 27. But the anointing which ye have of him abideth in you. The unction, the anointing, is the Spirit of God that lives inside of you. When you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, it is as if you are anointed with the Spirit of God. Now, how many of you have ever been anointed? You don't have to raise your hands, but I imagine not many of you. It's not something that's very common to us. Well, part of the reason is not common to us, especially in the context of this, of what the significance is here, is because it carries a symbolic significance. Have you all heard that the queen died? And have you all heard there's going to be a coronation of King Charles? How many of you know that there's also going to be an anointing of King Charles? They will formally anoint him. It is a symbolic gesture that even to this day is practiced to demonstrate that he is now endowed with power and authority, and there's a little bit of spiritual significance they put into it. I don't think it's legitimate, but nonetheless, it's there. 
Um, and it's this aspect of he receives this, this authority, this power. It's a symbolism of something that he has received. Each one of us, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are regally anointed as the children of God. It's as if you had a coordination day and you were anointed and acknowledged as now the child of God. An incredible privilege and position. Over in England, only one guy is going to get anointed. For all of us, we become the children of God and we have this unction of the Holy One. And unction here is more than just the anointing. It is the result of the anointing. That's the reason why the word unction is used here. It's the result of the anointing. We now have, the the anointing happens. But see, so often we think of the anointing of the Holy Spirit as something that happened, but we do not realize or reckon it to be so that it changes our life. That this unction of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy One, upon us, in us, gives us the power to go forth. And one of those powers is the power to love How do we love? It's a really good question. Well, look right here, and you're going to get your first lesson in how to know how to love. Do you see it in chapter 2, verse 20? Ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Now, if you're like me, you might be thinking, no, John, I don't know all things. I don't know all things. But that says you do. Huh. Have you ever asked the Lord, how do I love my wife? How do I love my children? How do I love my enemies? How do I love the brethren? How do I love? Brothers and sisters, the answer is, that the Holy Spirit will teach you how to love. I could give you a whole long list and I could give you lots of examples, but it would be of no use to you unless you were taught them by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who will teach us. He's the the one who knows all things. And that's really interesting because you see verse 20 there, it just makes it as a statement. Ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. And the moment we say, oh, no, we don't, look down at verse 27 again. It says, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. That's the Spirit of God. He abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing, that's the Holy Spirit, teacheth you of all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Here is the key. How do I love? It is by recognizing that I have been anointed. I have the unction of the Holy One, the Holy Spirit of God abiding inside of me, and he will teach me not just in a classroom setting, so to speak, but in the very moments of difficulty and trial, in the very moments of when we need the love, he will prompt us and show us how we ought to live. Unless we quench him, 
That's why we need to walk in him. That's the reason why we need to be filled with him. Yield to him. This is evidenced on into chapter 3, end of chapter 3, where it tells us that this is by the Spirit which he hath given us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us his Spirit. Verse 13 of chapter 4. It is the Spirit of God. He brings forth the fruit of love. He brings forth the fruit of love. And this is not unique to the Apostle John because Paul taught the same thing. Paul taught the same exact thing over in 1 Thessalonians. Well, you know why Paul taught the same thing? Because Paul was inspired by the same Holy Spirit that John was inspired by. And they both teach the same thing. And what is this? Turn with me over to 1 Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul wrote the church at Thessalonica. And he says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. He's saying, this is a brotherly love. This is like a friendship love. He says, concerning brotherly love, the friendship love that you need to have for one another, he says, I don't need to write to you. Now, you might be sitting back and saying, wait a minute, Paul. We need a bit of instruction here on how to love, how to be a friend, right? And now he says, I don't need to write to you. Now, look at the reason why he says, I don't need to write to you about brotherly love. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another here on the deepest level. This is a deepest love. He says, I don't need to talk to you about the brotherly love, the friendly love, because God himself will teach you on the deepest level. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not some practical illustrations and examples of love given in the Bible. As I told you this morning, we just had one little surface of the issue. But this is where we got to start. Because as we continue through and begin to look and to develop ourselves in love, it's not us developing ourselves. It is God flowing through us in love. And if we think, oh, well, love is giving of myself because it says over and over here, right, that Jesus gave himself for us. In a few moments, we're going to observe communion to remember that sacrifice, to remember that great commending of his love toward us. But did you know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it declares that we could give all of our goods to feed the poor? We could even give our body to be burned we could lay down our life for another. And it says that without love, it profiteth nothing. You see, it's not about what we do. It's about who is flowing through us. It's about Jesus Christ, his spirit, flowing through us. And when he, we are abiding in him and he is abiding in us, then real sincere, genuine love will flow through us back to God, to one another, 
and even our enemies. May I offer a very practical suggestion as we consider love, love for our family, love for one another. Brothers and sisters, let us consider, as the Apostle John cited repeatedly in his epistle, as Jesus illustrated, as the Apostle Paul illustrated, the greatest demonstration, showcase, and display of love is in Jesus' love for us. And I submit to you that if day by day we rise up in the morning and we remember the cross and give thanks for it, consider the love that brought him there, we will be able to launch into that day as we are presenting ourselves to him a living sacrifice, as he presented himself a sacrifice, that his love will flow through us. Our focus needs to be upon who Jesus is, the one reigning supreme at the right hand of the throne of God, who has promised to come back. That's another theme in 1 John we don't have time to talk about this morning, but it's the constant focus on the coming again of Jesus. These two events, one in history and one in history future, I say history future because it's as good as done, and that is Jesus is coming back. He died for us, demonstrating his love. He has commanded us to love, and he has given us the power to do it through the unction of the Holy One the anointing, the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Will we live in that unction? Will we live in that Spirit, looking unto Jesus, our blessed hope, the one who is coming again for us? If you look again at our church covenant, I'd like for you to pay very close attention. I don't know who wrote this or who, what group of people wrote this in bygone years, but there is a very important statement in this that is true for the entire covenant, and if we miss this statement in the covenant, we have missed what the Christian life is all about. It is in the first line of the second paragraph. The phrase is this, by the aid of the Holy Spirit. We cannot live this covenant. We cannot live the Christian life. We cannot keep the commandment to love one another without the unction of the Holy Spirit, his anointing, his empowering to go forth. And when we do, we abide in him, and he brings forth much fruit in our lives. And the first in the list of that fruit is love. Love. Let us love one another fervently and in sincerity. We will now transition to a time of communion. We'll sing a song as we celebrate communion. It's a time for Christians those who are children of God. If you have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then I say to you, abstain from taking of this communion. It is something for Christians to remember 
and to give thanks for when Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed for us. And as you are served this morning in the time of quiet meditation with the piano playing, will you take that time to quietly meditate upon the greatest demonstration of love, the love of God for you? And will you give thanks and praise to him? If you've not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not a child of God, today believe on him. Believe that he died for your sin, was buried and rose again, and he alone can save you. Believe in him and he will save you. And you will become a child of God and you will have the unction. You'll have the anointing. You'll have the power of the Spirit of God to truly live. Let us pray. Gracious God, we bow to you and give thanks for your loving kindness to us, for your love. We are so unworthy. What are we that you are even mindful of us? But yet you have shown great love, love that's beyond knowledge. May we receive this love. And may we walk in this love that is from you, through you, and to you, that you might be glorified both now and forever. Amen.